Welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bugs. Hey, everyone. It is Season 4 of the Performance Nutrition Podcast, bringing you the latest evidence-based insights from world-leading experts to take your nutrition game to the next level. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, folks, Dr. Chrissy Kendall, PhD from the School of Medical and Health Sciences at Edith Cowan University in Perth, is on the show. Her research areas of interest include physiological and performance adaptations to high-intensity interval training, as well as dietary interventions to enhance the effects of physical activity and methods for evaluating body composition. Dr. Kendall received her master's and PhD from the University of Oklahoma, studying exercise physiology, has published over 100 peer-reviewed papers, book chapters, and abstracts on sports nutrition, supplementation, and training adaptations. And today, we are talking all things creatine, in particular, the impacts on female athletes. Chrissy will debunk some of the common creatine myths around creatine making you bulky, things like weight gain, of course, talking about washout periods as well there, and whether or not creatine causes dehydration. She'll also discuss the benefits of creatine or potential benefits for endurance athletes, for recovery, for bone mineral density, and of course, some novel research on the application of creatine for mild traumatic brain injury and concussion. She'll discuss the pros and cons of natural food sources of creatine versus supplementation and much, much more. You can find the links and the podcast summary in the show notes at performancenutritionpodcast.com. And if you're interested in more on this topic, then you can circle back to season one, episode 24 with Dr. Brad Schoenfeld talking hypertrophy training, fat loss myths, and nutrition for muscle building. Or Season 2, Episode 19 with Dr. Michael Lewis discussing concussions and the applications of high-dose omega-3 and CBD oil. All right, a quick announcement here before we get started. I'm excited to announce that we'll soon be releasing a peak online course for strength coaches, nutritionists, docs, and practitioners who want to earn some CEUs as well as upgrade your nutrition for athlete health, fueling, recovery, and mindset. So you can check that out and sign up for the pre-sale list at drbubs.com forward slash peak. That's drbubs.com forward slash peak. Or visit performancenutritionpodcast.com and you'll be first to hear when it drops and also get some nice discounts as well. Awesome. Season 4, Episode 10 with Dr. Chrissy Kendall. Enjoy. Chrissy, thanks so much for taking the time today. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. Terrific. Well, maybe we can uh, kick things off here today by you telling listeners a little bit more about your background and your journey to your current role and areas of focus. Absolutely. So uh, currently I am a lecturer at Edith Cowan University, which is located in Perth, Western Australia, also known as the most isolated city in the world, but um, in my humble opinion, yeah, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, But so I've been here for three years now in Perth, Um, originally from the United States. I received my uh, master's and, and my PhD in exercise physiology from the University of Oklahoma. And that's uh, where, you know, I, I fell in love with research and, and specifically my my love of, of creatine where it was down in the lab at, in Norman at, awesome. at OU um, working with, with Dr. Stout. So my thesis actually involved um, creatine supplementation. I was interested in looking at some of the um, aerobic 
potential aerobic benefits of creatine, um, thinking that if it helped with uh, interval training and allowed individuals to uh, or enabled them to to do more work or more uh, bouts of work during intervals if over time if that could lead to improvements in aerobic capacity um, if if aerobic or endurance athletes could benefit from creatine because we always think it's a more of an anaerobic or power strength For supplement sure. um, so my yeah so my my thesis was looking at at creatine and high intensity interval training on um, critical power. Um, we also looked at a couple other measures, um, VO2 max, body composition, um, ventilatory threshold, anaerobic working capacity, so on and so forth. So that's actually, gosh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but that's, I think that's where it started. And then um, from there, um, after I finished my my PhD, I went on and took a uh, role as an assistant professor at Georgia Southern University down in Statesboro, Georgia. So I was there for uh, a couple years and part of a great program down there. And then I took a, a brief hiatus from academia and I spent a couple years as the science editor for bodybuilding.com. So I worked in the digital content area for the company, basically reviewing, editing, and creating the content, both from the store side and from the workout um, and, and content side, article side of everything that went onto their website. So that was, was quite different than, than the academic side of things. Yes, but for sure, seeing things from the other side. Yeah, yeah, but very, very interesting. And and I will say one of the uh, greatest things that I learned from that job was learning how to take from as an academic what we what we find from research and what we study and being able to translate it to to what people can understand or or break it down into information that that people want to read or mm -hmm. to listen to because you it's easier you said than done right which is interesting <laughs> yeah yeah and right and it's tough and and also people don't have the the time or i, I shouldn't say all people because um there are certainly people who have time to sit and read articles but a lot of people they're they're on the go and they they want to read something that takes two minutes to get the full idea of something, um, especially before they want to invest more time into digging deeper into it. So you've got to learn how to get your ideas across in a very attractive and interesting way in a very short amount of time. And so, yeah, working for, for bodybuilding.com, yeah, it was a very great, uh, learning experience and, and, and again, another great team that I was privileged to work with. And then, after that, that's when I made the big, big jump over to the other side of the world. And, yeah. um, yeah, no, so I think it's gotta be the, exactly the other side of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I joke with my family. I was like, I couldn't have picked a further away place, um, <laughs> to, yeah. to move away from Get those air miles racked up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's yeah, brief, brief background of where I am now. Awesome. Listen, I'm looking forward to diving into uh, all things creatine here and talking about applications in female athletes and around health conditions as well. But maybe before we get started, I'm sure everyone's familiar, obviously, with creatine on this podcast, but to get everyone on the same page and maybe go over some of the fundamentals um, of creatine with folks here to get us started. Yeah. So to put it into its basics, basic terms or, or how I like to tell my students when I'm teaching it in, in class is I just think of creatine as, as energy, as a, as a way that your body can, can use energy and our body, um, makes creatine. Um, we can consume it naturally in our diet. So it's naturally occurring. It's, um, it's not anything that's foreign or that's um, a, 
illegal or steroid. Um, the, the problem with and why we recommend supplementing with it is because we do excrete it via urine on a daily basis. And so even with what we make naturally in our body, and if we consume a meat-based diet, we consume um, chicken and meat, it's unlikely that even with that, we get enough to offset what we lose daily. Um, and so hence why we recommend supplementing. So every process in our body, um, whether it's um, doing day, uh, activities of daily living, whether it's working out, whether it's doing um, a math exam, you know, and you're having to think and process every every process that your body is doing uses energy. And your body's basic form of energy is ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And in order to replenish or to maintain stores and enough ATP that you can continue to do any of these processes to continue to live, essentially, you need to maintain stores of ATP. And we do that by... Um, not to get too sciencey, but by taking a phosphate from stored creatine and donating it to, to, to make ATP. So the more creatine we have stored and we store it as creatine phosphate, the more creatine we have stored, the more ATP, the more energy that we have available in our body to do basically every living process that occurs on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, in its, in its simplest form, creatine should be thought of as energy or a precursor to energy. Yeah, such a fascinating point around just everything that's occurring in the body requires this energy, requires the ATP. And, and as you mentioned, you know, our rates of endogenous synthesis and of course what we're consuming is being offset by what we're excreting and so this this role potentially um what we've seen obviously in the research and you know better than anyone of all the benefits of super saturating and getting even greater concentrations and so when we look at supplementation you know we often see research done in men um, when it comes to sport and and otherwise and when we talk creatine supplementation for female athletes you know Oftentimes with, with recreational clients or more elite clients, there can be some hesitation with taking creatine uh, with female athletes. Could you give us a few reasons or things that you've come across um, in, that, uh, in that hesitation of wanting to, to add that into their supplemental re uh, repertoire? Yeah, so the, the two biggest things, and they, and they kind of go hand in hand, is either it'll make me bulky or make me um, get large muscles, bulky muscles, or it'll make me gain weight. Um, so to address the first one, creatine on itself, um, remember it's just think of it you know, as a precursor to energy. Mm -hmm. So if you're not doing anything, if you're just you know, kind of sitting on the couch and you're not lifting any weights and you're not going to the gym and you're not creating the stimulus to increase muscle size, you're not going to put on muscle mass. It's it's not to be confused with a, an anabolic steroid like testosterone, where you're going to increase muscle mass regardless of the stimulus, regardless of the training that you're doing. So creatine on its own won't make you bulky. Um, and and even so, the, the studies that have looked at creatine when used with resistance training, um, both in untrained and trained individuals, you know, you're not going to find uh, increases in, in muscle mass that are off the charts. You know, you might find something um, two to three kilograms or um, five pounds of of muscle mass over a 10 week or 12 week training program. You know, that's a lot of time of consistently lifting weights 
and and a lot of that's the actual resistance training program. The creatine sure. is there as the stimulus to allow you to engage in a high enough training intensity or a high enough training level to have those changes. So um, if you're doing lighter volume, lighter resistance, if you're you're not doing a resistance training program that otherwise wouldn't induce great changes in muscle size or strength, we we well creatine won't somehow magically create those changes in the absence of having that that sort of stimulus. So the whole idea that it's on its own can make you bulky is 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 not true. Um, the thing about weight gain is is a little tricky because I don't want to say that it's true, but I don't want to say that it's untrue. Uh, there are cases where creatine can cause um, short-term weight gain because when you take creatine in, um, it, it will pull in water into the muscle cell. Mm -hmm. um, when creatine enters into the, the muscle cell, it pulls water in with it. Um, when we typically see that, it's with loading protocols. So to just briefly ex explain um, what I mean by loading protocols, when we supplement with creatine, we typically have two different protocols. One is a loading protocol, which is taking 20 grams a day, broken in, broken down into four, five gram doses throughout the day, which would equal 20 grams. And you do that for five to seven days. That protocol, which has been shown to maximally saturate your creatine stores within a week, has been shown to lead to... Um, about two to three kilograms or about uh, on the maximum side, about four to five um, pounds of water weight gain in that week. And that's more, more prevalent in males than females. However, that, that does go, that does taper back down in the following weeks um, because that's just water weight. You're not mm -hmm. gaining fat. You're not gaining muscle in a week, unfortunately. <laughs> it would be You're great, wouldn't it? Pounds of muscle <laughs> in a week. Um, that's just water weight. Um, so you can feel a little bit bloated, um, or, or some people may may claim that they feel a little bit bloated. If you want to counteract that, what I tell people is to do a low dose protocol, and it's what I I actually recommend most people do, unless they are in a situation where they need to maximally increase creatine stores in a week if that's because they're competing or they have an event where in a week where they really want to have stores of creatine saturated if you're not in any rush if you're taking it um for you know a day-to-day -day purpose it's we typically say anywhere from three to five grams um more so based on body weight um if you're uh, lighter body weight probably three grams um you know, 70 kilos, or I always try to, um, off the top of my head, convert to pounds because I know that some people are pounds and kilograms, but I would say se um, 70 kilos or about 150 pounds. Christy, if we can also circle back to your work around aerobic performance, because I think this is another area where, again, as you mentioned, you know, people don't automatically think of creatine supplementation for aerobic performance or even on the recovery side of things. So maybe you could talk a bit about uh, the effects of creatine for aerobic performance. Absolutely. So this kind of started in my early work, as I mentioned um, previously with my thesis, or my master's thesis was looking at creatine and interval training or high intensity interval training and its effects on improving some aerobic measures. And, and we've seen since then, and, and I'm not the only person who's looked at that, it's been looked at in, in other areas, but um, we know that endurance athletes will often um, have different forms of, of training. They don't always do long, continuous, steady state type training. They often do um, will have a component of interval or fartlek or 
um, non-steady state sort of training where their body will be more reliant on um, anaerobic energy systems. And, and anytime we start to work at higher intensities, it is, um, it is very much more likely that we will tap into um, ATP stores at a higher rate than that of which we can um, maintain through um, a, a steady state supply of oxygen. So therefore that we start to deplete those energy stores like creatine. Um, and so therefore by supplementing with creatine and having increased stores um, both before we start training, but also um, being able to replenish at a faster rate during training, being able to replenish ATP at a quicker rate during training because we have more or before because we have more um, creatine and phosphocreatine in our body and our muscles, we're able to maintain higher intensities and recover faster during things like like interval training. So during during workouts, um, we've seen that um, we're able to complete more work bouts, but also complete them at a higher intensity. Also beneficial for endurance athletes is, is on the recovery side of things. So we know that we know that taking creatine um, with, with carbohydrates can actually help to resynthesize or restore glycogen levels at a faster rate. And we know um, through numerous papers and, and research studies that, that have been done, you know, for the past decades, that the more glycogen we have in our muscles before we start any form of endurance activity, the longer we'll be able to maintain that activity um, and, and at, a, at a higher intensity right? It's thinking about, it's like, you know, you're, you've got fuel in your car. If your, your tank is, is full, you're going to be able to go longer or drive further in your car than if your tank was half full. It, I mean, it's pretty common sense. The same thing with, with carbohydrates and, and muscle glycogen. So glycogen is just stored carbohydrates in your body. So the more glycogen you have before you start activity, before you start exercise in your body, the longer you're going to be able to maintain intensity and maintain um, your exercise level um, compared to, to someone who doesn't have as, as much glycogen or carbohydrates available. And we know that creatine um, can assist with that. So uh, another benefit to endurance athletes is, is taking creatine, not just for the training purposes, but for the recovery aspect as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, as you mentioned, those intense sessions that you do as an aerobic athlete, being able to increase the intensity of those sessions, the, the work you're able to do and, and facilitate greater adaptations is such an advantage. And of course, on that glycogen replenishment side as well, you know, we know that at intensity, it's going to be directly proportional to the glycogen stores. So that's such a key component. And when we look at some of the, again, persistent myths that might hang around that might dissuade endurance athletes or runners from using something like creatine, you know, cramping and dehydration are often two of the ones that I hear from, from clients or athletes. Can you uh, shed some light on what the research tells us around whether or not those are things to be concerned about? This one I always get a little laugh at because <laughs> I, I hear it all the time. No, no, it just won't die, right? <laughs> and there are several studies, several, uh, and I say long-term, multiple years, where they'll work with um, teams, athletes, and, and administer them creatine. And I've actually found that those who are on creatine have fewer incidents of heat-related Injuries, illnesses, cramping, dehydration. And if you look at the mechanisms of creatine itself in which it brings water into the muscle cell, it's actually doing the opposite of what dehydration or cramping would be. So 
fundamentally, I just think this is this is so backwards. Why why do people think that it causes cramping or dehydration? It's actually should be used for thermoregulation. And I would recommend people who do train in hot or humid climates or who are exposed to those elements who are at risk for dehydration to consider using creatine because we know um, some of the the work that's been done there uh, there are two studies that that were published in the early 2000s um, out of University of Memphis when Richard Kreider and Mike Greenwood were were there and they did they had some great studies with the the football team American football team that that was out there and they had the athletes um, on creatine, well, placebo or creatine for just about two years, which is one of the longest studies we have in creatine. It's hard with supplement studies to get people to be compliant for that long, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. Um, humans, it's hard to work with humans. <laughs> for sure. Um, but they, they, uh, had the, the football team, um, either you know, half of them split, either taking creatine or not, and monitored them for for two years, both um, bloods, um, different organs, renal or kidneys, uh, liver. They they looked at heat illness, other um, injuries, and both you know throughout the entire year, but but paying close attention to off season and preseason when they're training outside in gear in Tennessee when, or yeah, in Memphis, when with the humidity and heat, I can only imagine what the temperatures were getting up to. And bottom line, what, what those papers will show you is that the groups, the, the, the individuals who were on creatine had fewer rates of cramping, heat related uh, injuries or illnesses, and when they had their blood work done over the course of two years, had no changes in renal markers, no changes in liver enzymes or, or any other blood markers that were done. So suggesting that, that at least what we have for long-term studies, that there doesn't seem to be an effect with taking creatine daily. They were doing a, a low dose daily supplementation with creatine. And there have been other studies too that have looked at creatine and dehydration. There have been systematic reviews and have found that overwhelmingly there's no support to suggest that creatine leads to dehydration. Um, overwhelmingly support that it does not lead to muscle um, cramping. The people there, there are some um, anecdotal reports, and I don't want to ignore those for people who have GI distress mm-hmm. to to um, taking creatine, and that can sometimes be caused by loading protocols, um, and and that's because when when we do loading protocols, which again is 20 grams of creatine a day for five to seven days. We recommend drinking about a cup of water or eight ounces of water. Every time you take um, your dose dose of creatine. So that's a lot of water. And some people um, will will have GI distress from that. They'll have bloating or they might have um, an upset stomach from that. And and that's in all fairness that that can happen. And and again, what I will recommend is to, to do lower dosing from that so that you don't have to consume as much water with each each time you supplement or each time you take a dose of creatine absolutely i mean definitely makes sense and as you mentioned it is really compelling when we look at the ability to maintain body temperature and hydration status in hot and humid environments i mean that is an absolute game changer for a lot of athletes in different scenarios so definitely one for for folks to uh to make note of and Obviously, endurance athletes can struggle with this, you know, bone mineral density. If we segue over to that, um, you know, athletes who need to make weight, you know, runners, endurance athletes, female athletes as well, obviously being um, potentially more susceptible. 
So when we talk about things like osteoporosis or maintaining bone mineral density, we know that as get as women get older, they're going to be more likely um, to experience fractures due to osteoporosis. Is there a potential role here for creatine in supporting uh, and, and you know bone health? So there there have been several papers that have looked at this. Most of it's geared towards older individuals. Um, and that's just because when we study loss of bone or loss of bone mineral density, we, we tend to, to look at older adults mm-hmm. uh, or disease populations where we see a rapid decline in bone mineral density. But we can certainly apply it to even, like you said, um, certain endurance athletes or female athletes where we also do see higher rates of bone loss, even in what we would consider a young young age or or a healthy age where we otherwise wouldn't expect to see bone loss. Now, a lot of it does come back to that in it of itself, creatine doesn't do much to increase bone mineral density. I'll come back to that in just a second because there there's been a little bit of research on that recent research, but most of it is, again, it serves as a stimulus with resistance training. And we know that resistance training is the, the, the greatest stimulus for increasing, um, bone mineral density for, for stimulating the cells that help to, to build our, our bones, to get them stronger, to get them more dense. We know that we need to load our bones. And, and one of the ways to do that, and one of the greatest ways to do that is through resistance training. And when you look at studies that have done resistance training and compared resistance training alone and resistance training plus creatine, we know that the addition of creatine likely because of an increase in either training volume or training intensity can lead to further increases in bone mineral density on top of just resistance training alone. So I still strongly recommend adding creatine um, into into someone's daily um, routine, uh, even though we're still not sure if on its own can have a, a significant effect on bone mineral density. We do know that when combined with resistance training can lead to greater effects on bone mineral density than resistance training alone. Um, but to on top of that, with, with endurance athletes and with female, um, with women athletes as well, one of the things that, that I've noticed and that I've seen is the consumption of meat products. And in, in those cases, we sometimes see an, an underconsumption of those products. And whether it's because of um, weight maintenance, um, calories, what they're watching, they may not be consuming as much um, meat as, let's say, a strength or power athlete or team sport athlete. And nothing to do with with their diet. Maybe they just prefer not to eat um, meat-based products or a lot of them. But again, the only only naturally occurring foods that have creatine in them are meat, are are animal-based products. So if if they are not consuming those products um, in their diet alone, and we, as I mentioned before, they're losing them on a daily basis. It's even more reason to consume it through a, a supplement because of the type of training that they're doing. They're more likely to be at, at risk um, for things like stress fractures and um, loss of bone um, content. If, if, for example, they're a cyclist and they don't do a lot of weight bearing activities, um, we know that mm-hmm. cyclists, for example, have um, lower bone mineral density to aged match counterparts. So, 
um, a, another example of where a, an endurance athlete could benefit from creatine if if they are concerned concerned about weight gain because I'm very respectful that endurance athletes do have to be mindful of their weight for like sure yeah. weight to power ratio on a cyclist or in a long marathon yeah, makes all the difference right it absolutely even a small amount so with supplements and and I teach about this in my my classes is you can you can do supplements you can um, take supplements on a periodized program mm -hmm. if if you don't want to take them year round so you can take them during times where you may not where you're not competing in an off season or preseason and and taper off of them so that any excess water weight that you may be carrying from creatine if you take yourself off of creatine four weeks before any competition or event you your weight and, and any excess water weight that you're holding on to should be gone um and and yet you've been training with creatine so all of the training benefits you'll hold on to any excess water weight you'll be free from. So, so you can still take it, just be mindful of, of when you're taking it and, and periodize it with your, your training program. Um, and I did just want to, cause I know I mentioned it. I did. I want to just briefly say there have been a couple reports, um, mostly in animal studies, but it's something that, that I'm, I've been keeping an eye on with creatine and, and bone in the absence of resistance training, there have been a couple studies and uh, that have looked at creatine as a stimulus for osteoblasts. So mm -hmm. osteoblasts are cells that stimulate bone growth. So there's some really early work and I'm very intrigued to see where this field goes and where this research goes. But in the absence of any form of, of training, so without resistance training, that creatine may be able to stimulate the pathway known to um, promote osteoblast, osteoblast cells. So I, I think that, that, that we may, may see some, some research in that area, but, but ultimately I, I think that, um, that creatine does have a role in bone, bone health. Yeah, I mean, great points there, especially with regards to periodizing that supplementation, depending on your sport, because just as you mentioned, you can get all those benefits and then just timing that washout period so that you can then you know flush out any excess weight and whatnot for competition time. And, yeah. you know, when we talk about athletes, especially if it's an endurance athlete, maybe again, a plant-based athlete, uh, you know, as you mentioned previously, you know, the, the levels will be obviously lower in a, a vegetarian or or vegan athlete and so there could be even more bang for our buck right in terms of supplementation of adding that creatine in for those um individuals as well and, uh, so important for them to to be mindful of that and again if we shift gears from bone to the brain and i know that there's mm -hmm. a, a lot of compelling um new research around the brain and just as you mentioned creatine being energy and concussions and traumatic brain injury are, are all over the news everywhere you know if it's Canada and ice hockey or you know football in in the in Europe and the UK with heading the ball and seemingly every sport in between you know how could creatine potentially support protection against uh, traumatic brain injuries yeah this has to be probably one of my favorite favorite new areas of of research that I've been getting into with creatine is both its potential protective effects, but then also its ability to speed up or potentially speed up the recovery from um, traumatic brain injury. So I'll, I'll start with the, the first article that caught my attention was actually done in a clinical hospital and what they did is they had uh, hum well, humans, they had people come in. Of course, they were humans. Um, <laughs> nice. That they um, had come in and they were diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. And they were 
randomized to receive either creatine or a placebo whilst receiving um, other standard treatment for brain injury. And, and these were pretty severe brain injuries, um, not just a, a knock on the head and, and sent home. These were injuries in which they were in the hospital for anywhere from two to four weeks, in some cases a little bit longer. And what they noticed in those who were given creatine, and I should say that they were it was given intravenously, so we haven't yet seen just kind of the an oral effect of creatine yet, but intravenously, um, those who were given creatine had shorter hospital stays. They had um, less symptoms associated with uh, brain injuries such as nausea, headache, um, memory loss. Um, they had um, better outcomes, so uh, regaining memory um, and and you know um, getting back to to activities outside of the hospital. And interesting, th this age group went from year one to the age of 30. So it's kind of across the board um, as far as the, the age and really highlighted the effects of post-brain injury, how creatine could speed up the the recovery. And that comes down to, again, creatine being used as a substrate to assist ATP or to enhance ATP's purpose in the body. When you have, well, I'll just back up, your brain, just like your muscles, use ATP as an, as an energy source. Mm -hmm. And when your brain gets injured as it would in a, um, a head injury, your, your brain rapidly goes through all of its ATP or, or the majority of its ATP sources because it's trying to, to, to fix, I guess, for a better, um, use of words. Yeah, mediate those effects, to, right? Yeah. It, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of trauma going on and it's trying to make sure that your, the tissue in your brain isn't dying, right? It's got to get energy back into it. Um, but ATP is very limited. We only store a small amount, um, in our body in comparison to other things. So, um, once we, once we use that up, we're, we're pretty much left with nothing. So by supplementing with creatine, we allow our body, a, a means to heal itself in our brain, a, a means to heal itself faster. So that that study was published um, in, I believe, 2001 or, or early 2000. Um, and it really sparked my my interest in it. And and I can understand why, you know, a lot of studies since then haven't been been done. It's not one where we can induce brain injuries um, for ethical reasons, right? Yeah, it's not <laughs> frowned upon. Yeah, that that's tough to get past the ethical board um, to set that study up. But but they have done in more recent years um, animal studies where they've given um, rats and mouse uh, mice um, mouse models creatine before sustaining a brain injury. And have found that when taken prior to a head injury, there's a protective effect, as well as afterwards, again, we see that speed up in recovery. So when taken before, what they found is that in the regions that are most prone to damage from a traumatic brain injury, we see less um, cellular damage because again, there's ATP available to, uh, protect or to, to maintain the energy stores to rebuild that tissue, to, to prevent that tissue from dying. 
um, and therefore um, we see less damage in the 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 cortical area the the brain area that's getting affected um, and and again that carries over in the the time period following the brain injury where your body is repairing the tissue and your brain being tissue is if we've got creatine available already in the brain because we've supplemented with it before it can speed up at a much faster rate and what i'm hoping um and you know some of the the projects that i have in in the pipeline is to show that when taken prior to sustaining any sort of brain injury or concussion you know because the facts are that pretty much any team sport nowadays the chances of sustaining a head injury are significant um we see it in in almost every sport um every contact sport yeah I mean, with athletes getting bigger faster and stronger yeah it is happening seemingly more and more across all sports right yes and and now we've got the science that's showing that it's not just oh you know i got the the bells rung in my head the long-term effects of that are far more significant than I think what anyone ever thought. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping that we can continue to get more research because I don't think we're ever, we're ever going to show or, or have enough evidence to get people to stop playing sports or to stop playing the sports that have contact. But if we can have some preventative measures in place and something as simple as getting your athletes to take five grams, a teaspoon of creatine, a teaspoon, that's all it is, a teaspoon of creatine. If, if we can get some data to show that that can reduce the detrimental effects or enhance the recovery um, from, from a, a concussion or from a, a head injury, I think that will go a long way in in some of the research that that we're already currently doing, looking at, at head injury in sport. Um, well, for sure, especially know, as it looks, you know, when we look at sports like ice hockey and football and, and youth athletes, I mean, what a, what a great thing to have as some, you know, preventative strategies to help, as you mentioned, offset some of these things and, and have those building blocks available for the body to do its thing if, if it were to happen. I mean, it is a potentially huge, uh, huge benefits, right? Yeah, well, and and I was um, I was going to say that we know in other conditions where brain ATP levels are dec are decreased, such as in sleep deprivation, which again happens with athletes, especially athletes who travel mm -hmm. um, and might be uh, traveling overnight and have to play. We know that when taking creatine um, before. Um, a, an event or a competition, it can offset the cognitive declines or the cognitive impairment. So it can assist with decision-making skills, reaction, um, speed. So again, we know that in other cases where uh, ATP levels in the brain and creatine levels in the, in the brain may be decreased because of sleep deprivation, Taking creatine can assist with that. Again, I can see, and, and to me, in, in my brain, it makes sense that, of course, it would work in this. We just, we need we need more data at this point. But I, I have high hopes for it in that area. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, just fascinating, all the different applications. And, you know, one of the ones when we talk about the brain and we think of aging and, and being able to maintain, uh, you know, cognition, fight off age-related sarcopenia, you know, we know that aging in and of itself is obviously associated with incremental losses in muscle mass and physical function. And we do see that stores of creatine are lower in older individuals compared to, uh, and even middle-aged individuals compared to younger ones. Is there, you know, what's the research base here in terms of applications in older individuals with maintaining um, strength qualities as we get older? There's so much 
positive evidence for creatine supplementation in older adults. Um, and uh, Darren Kandow uh, does phenomenal work in this area, looking at creatine supplementation, resistance training, and and older adults um, from from looking at bone and looking at muscle um, quality as well, muscle mass, as well as uh, quality of life, functional capacity, physical capacity. So being able to um, stand up, walk, sit down, do things unassisted. We know that hands down, adding creatine into the, an, an older adult's daily routine across the board can assist with, with all of that. And that's actually where I, I took all of the research that had been done in older adults and I applied that to our cancer model because what we see in cancer patients because of either the cancer itself or the treatment cancer patients are on, we essentially see their body age as if it was an older adult. Mm -hmm. So they may be 40 or 30 diagnosed with cancer, but they will have all of the same conditions as a 60, 70 or 80 year old. So they will have low bone mineral density comparative to an 80 year old. They might have loss of bone mass um, or sarcopenia, increases in body fat, uh, loss of functional strength, um, reductions in quality of life, cognitive impairments, um, especially if they are on chemo treatment, so call it chemo brain. Um, so you see a a lot of mirrored effects with cancer as we do in, in older adults. And that, that was the basis for one of the papers that we wrote, which was looking at the therapeutic effects of creatine in cancer populations. And, and a lot of that actually came from the work that's been done in, in older populations and elderly. And we said, well, look, if it's been shown to be beneficial in this group, why, why can't it work, work in, in, in cancer populations? And that's really what, what got us to start, start working and using can or using creatine in cancer populations. Yeah. It's a fascinating paper. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, you know, such a tremendous application for you know, cohort of people who really need it. And, and the the outcomes are obviously really compelling when you look at uh, survival times and other things potentially. Uh, so that's, you know, really exciting stuff. And it sort of dovetails into my, into my last question for you here, um, Chrissy, which is, you know, for yourself and your research, you know, what's, what, what are the things that you're working on? What's, what has you excited uh, on the horizon? Yeah. So, um, well, hopefully we can uh, finish the, the clinical trial that we have going on right now with with creatine, we are about halfway through, or well, maybe a little bit um, over halfway through. And um, you know, it, it's it's been a great trial. the The participants that we have coming in are just just wonderful. Um, we're specifically right now working with prostate cancer patients and and just a lovely group of of participants. So. Um, hoping to get that trial through um, this year, um, although we'll see with the, the current conditions of everything if we can push that one through. Um, I've also um, looking at doing some additional work, as I mentioned uh, uh, earlier about creatine and cognitive performance. I'm hoping to look more into that specifically with sleep deprivation in both athletic populations and military populations. We're fortunate enough to 
um, have a strong tie to our military over here. And, and again, another wonderful group that we get to work with. And we know that both in um, sports and in military, uh, where they're working in conditions where sleep is not always um, available to them and, and they're often making decisions um, with minimal hours of sleep. And right now, both for, for athletes and, and, and even general population, our go-to right now is if, if we don't have sleep, but we need to be awake, it's caffeine. And that's not a bad thing. I, I <laughs> yeah. for one, <laughs> Tastes great. Drink, a lot, drink a lot of caffeine, uh, but, um, you can't get too much of a good thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and look, some people are, um, have adverse effects, but also caffeine, there are responders and non-responders to caffeine. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm interested to see in, in cases like that or in cases where there's sensitivity or you, you are looking to minimize any sort of negative effects to caffeine if creatine supplementation can, can enhance um, the cognitive um, improvements that we see following periods of sleep deprivation. Um, and then um, hopefully tying in some of that work to um, the brain injury aspect. I, I was hoping to start some work with uh, one of our groups in mixed martial arts, but again, due to a, a, a little virus that's been going around. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's affecting the world a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so that, that one might have to go on hold, but but there's some talk about um, potentially getting some 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 research um, with creatine into some MMA gyms, which would be great if I could get into that. But yeah, lots of lots of work there with with creatine and and I've got some other areas, um, you know, with with genetics. I think genetics and prescription exercise has a huge role. Um, so that I've I've got a great team of geneticists that I'm working with over at ECU and very excited about um, diving into that um, project later this year and and working with our um, army over here in Perth and in our military. And yeah, it's um, really, really fun stuff that we have going on here. <laughs> I say, yeah, exciting times. And I'm definitely looking forward to keeping up with all those uh, projects coming down the pipeline. And if, if listeners want to stay in touch with yourself and keep up with all the things you're doing, where's the best uh, place to get you on social media or in academia? Yep. So, um, on Twitter, um, I, I am occasionally on there. Um, not always just posting memes about dogs <laughs> or funny things like that, but occasional academic things, but, um, at Chrissy Kendall one, you can find me on, um, Twitter. And, um, if anything, um, for academia, um, you can search us at Edith Cowan university if you go on to ecu.edu.au, um, you can find all of our university projects. Um, you can go on to our exercise and sports science page. That's actually the center that I work under, exercise and sports science. You can see everything that we're working on at ECU, but you'll also find my contact information um, there as well. Amazing. Well, we'll definitely include those links and links to some of the papers that we discussed here today, Chrissy. And uh, listen, thanks again for taking the time out and uh, we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mark. Great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. If you enjoyed the content, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcasting platform to show your support. Also, a special note, this summer, we'll be launching an online course centered around the work from my new book, Peak. So if you enjoyed the book and looking for a deeper dive into continuing education in performance nutrition, as well as continuing education units for strength coaches, dietitians, practitioners, then head over to athleteevolution.org. That's athleteevolution.org. 
and sign up to our pre-sale list and you'll be the first to hear about when we launch this exciting course. Lastly, if you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, be sure to reach out on social media at Dr. Bubs and fire away with those questions and comments. Thanks for listening, folks, and see you next time. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.